Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School at the University of Oxford. And today we are talking all about the media landscape in... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In 2019, I'm joined by Jane Osler, the Global Head of Media in the Insights Division at Kantar, and Andy Brown, the CEO of Kantar Media. So Jane, what are we going to talk about? Thanks, Andrew. We've just launched our Media Predictions 2019, and one of the things that I think is really interesting is we're facing a time of increased fragmentation, the need of for in connected intelligence in all forms of data, and really a lot of our predictions, we've done 12 in total, focus on how marketers can make sense of a changing landscape. Um, so I thought today that we could just delve into a little bit of detail on some of the predictions. And I guess the first one that it might be interesting to talk about is artificial intelligence. I, mean, I don't think it would be a proper set of predictions unless we mentioned it a couple of times. One of the thoughts that we had, one of the predictions, is that in 2019, artificial intelligence will start to support a lot of the work that's being done within analytics. Um, and the key challenge for marketers, as we know, is in understanding ROI, return on investment of their campaigns and data can only support you so far. You actually need that data to be intelligent, to be analyzed in an intelligent way, to understand the, the impact of your campaigns and to be able to predict properly. Um, so I think, I think as, a, as a software point, but it's also how we link online and offline impact together, which is an eternal challenge for marketers. I don't think anyone's truly solved that yet. But artificial intelligence is definitely making big strides. Andrew, what, what do you think? Well, I completely agree that analytics and, and AI is 
going to be in 2019 helping us kind of answer these ROI questions. And, and I think more broadly, as the media landscape gets more complicated, as marketers are spending money in, in even more fragmented channels and doing all sorts of different things, you know, the traditional approaches, I think we all agree, don't, don't necessarily always work that well. So looking for new ways of doing things using advanced analytics and then sort of investing in those types of answers, I think, definitely is, is coming up. I guess the, the only sort of caution I would have is it's not, okay, let's just put this all into uh, you know, a neural network and, and hope for the best, but rather there's, there's a combination of the human element still that's needed. And, and I think, you know, I, I like to think of AI less as maybe artificial intelligence, but sort of the terms I've heard recently around sort of either assisted intelligence or augmented intelligence. And I think for, for media planning and marketers who are trying to figure out ROI, think that way is probably the best advice. Yes, it's a good point that it does come back to people. One of the suggestions, Andy, in the prediction is that the title of CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, should actually be replaced with a new title of Chief Growth Officer. What, what do you reckon about that? Well, I, I mean, put, putting, just putting the titles on one side for a second and just building on what Andrew was saying, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I do see, you know, p people talk about clients and users be, being in particular, you know, data, very data rich, but time poor. They don't have the time to analyze the humongous amounts of data that are now thrown off, especially in a digital context. Whether that's, you know, in terms of advertising information, that might be information about earned media uh, alongside uh, paid media uh, channels. And I think one of the opportunities is for uh, AI to, to reduce some of that load, but it still needs a human touch, it still needs that interpretation, particularly as it relates to creativity. If you're thinking about media planning, you know, the concern would be that you leave everything to the algorithm and then suddenly all campaigns potentially look the same. I think the other thing about AI that would be interesting, and maybe this perhaps plays to your point, uh, Jane, about growth, is that people are expected to make decisions about where to invest their marketing dollars well in advance of uh, knowing what's actually happening. And what do they do? Well, certainly if you think about that in the context of media planning, historic, historic data plays a huge role in that. So people in the United States, for example, will trade huge amounts of television ad dollars based on what happened in the same period a year ago. Most of our analytic tools are all based on looking backwards and making decisions going forward. At what point do we start to see people using analytics to do predictive ratings, predictive audiences? So I think, I think that's a big, a big change. And again, linking it back into the growth. If I do this, if I make these bets, these investments from a media planning point of view, what do I see in terms of impact and what impact in, will it have on my brand in terms of growth? I think to pick up on that really important point is that AI is really good at prediction. You know, and, and lowers the cost of prediction as well, which is sort of you know sort of an, the economics view is prediction becomes more accessible, cheaper. So you're right. If historic data is typically used to do a media plan, why not do a forecast of what the market's going to look like, and then pretend that's the historic data, and do a media plan on that. So I think there's creative ways to use analytics and AI um, for this, but just kind of pressing a button and automating everything is not going to work well. Okay, so we, we agree that the, the human touch is important. Perhaps this plays to 
how agencies generally are, are staffed up, the roles and the kind of changes in job descriptions that people will have to have, maybe not in 2019, but in a couple of years' time, actually the fundamental roles will change as well because people will need to be guiding AI and, and instructing the software and, and making sure that it's properly strategic and differentiated. Well, I think there's definitely skills related to that that people need to develop, but also just a, a, a fluency of, so, you know, I, I've, I've said before, uh, perhaps in this podcast, you know, the world doesn't need a bunch of marketers who become second-rate data scientists, but we need marketers who can talk to first-rate data scientists and work together. And, and I think that's the way I think, think this works well, is it's, it's a team-based approach, but you sort of need to understand what, what either side of the team are doing, but, but let you get on with what you're good at. But crossover is important in terms of understanding, so marketers need to have that understanding of what this stuff is so that we don't get all hyped up and, and excited without knowing actually what's going on. So now let's move on to another one, which we've called uh, Brands Raise Their Voice. And this really looks at what we think is going to be a massive increase in the use of voice technology by brands for marketing purposes. And when we say voice, we're talking in the broadest possible terms about smart speakers, uh, virtual assistants, there's connected in-car entertainment and how all that links together as well. And then there's the increase in the use of you know, podcasts and other forms of audio, which we've discussed on uh, previous podcast editions here and other voice services that brands may wish to start to implement in the market. So it's almost like a whole ecosystem in itself which brands are going to have to get used to. And we know that you know, the sound of a brand is an important way of connecting you know, the experience of the brand with other forms of communication. So let's just focus a little bit about um, how brands are going to use voice generally is we, do you think we're still at the experimental stage and brands are going to have to use this you know bit of their innovation budget to see what they can do or is it is it getting really serious now do you think well i th i think i think brands are talking about it more you know no pun intended but i think in 2019 this has to move out of the oh let's see what we're going to do about voice to okay what are we tangibly seeing that actually works with voice but my view is it's coming. It has to come from understanding how the consumer actually wants to engage with a brand, uh, you know, through through voice as an interface, and and you know through through therefore the the, the Echo device or, or through whatever platform offers the voice service. So I think that's still the big question mark to me, uh, and and really kind of for which sorts of brands is this well suited, and and maybe if we're thinking about the 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 immediate say one to two years, it's not everyone. Maybe five years down the line, it is everyone because it becomes a, a more dominant form of interface. But I think this year is going to be one of those years where, as the installed base of, say, Alexa-enabled devices keeps on going up. I mean, I think in your paper here it says about 24% of U.S. households have a smart speaker. I bet that's going to change, you know, after this Christmas, given the sort of advertising Amazon's doing, just as one, one example. So I think we have to wait and see. But as that install base gets bigger. We've got to look to the consumers, how do they want to engage, and then brands need to figure out where they fit. Andy, do you have any thoughts on how voice is going to be used in marketing or e-commerce or even search? I mean, well, search, search I think, is, is the big one. I mean, we have a business monitoring search, and you know that, that has changed already quite dramatically in terms of the players in that space. You have Amazon search now, and Amazon extending into voice-based search. 
obviously going into competition with Google and Bing is, is, is going to be very interesting to see how that all lands. Leaving aside the issues about how we measure it, there's another uh, challenge that we face as a, as a research business if we didn't have enough. So, I th so I, yeah, I think I think the, the search is going to be is going to change dramatically using voice. Again, in in the fields that we work in, in terms of media and audience measurement, there are TV sets already now that you can change channel with voice without using remote controls. Not necessarily a great problem from a measurement point of view just now, but it, it could change and it and it probably will change viewing behaviour in the same way that remote controls change viewing behaviour. You didn't have to get up out of the chair to walk over and press the button, and that changed viewing durations. It, had, it meant that you had higher retention in commercial breaks. That will voice activation on that change the way people interact? It'd be interesting to see how people behave when they may have a connected speaker and they're watching TV. We've already had situations, I think, in the United States where people have used the audio on the commercial to trigger search without the involvement of the, the viewer in the process. And then I think there are now regulations in place around that in terms of what you do with commercials. So I think it w the interactivity between the, the voice and the, that speaker with some of the other media that people might be consuming in parallel could be quite interesting. Yeah, there was the famous Burger King example, I think, where the ad triggered the, the speaker to read out a Wikipedia description, which then obviously Wikipedia is free to edit. So everyone just changed what the Wikipedia <laughs> entry was saying. Look it up if you're interested in knowing what, what happened as a result of that. Um, but I think that's right. I think search is probably where it all starts. Certain brands are obviously experimenting with e-commerce and, and skills on smart speakers. Um, I do think there will be a bit more experimentation, shall we say, with things like branded voice assistants um, and you know branded content on speakers so you can imagine an example for where an online retailer might give away a free recipe for example sponsored by a brand and that recipe could be read out by the voice of the brand so I think there's lots of exciting opportunities and but I think you're, you're absolutely right Andy the challenge will be how do you measure it all alongside your other marketing activity and you know podcasts are maybe slightly more established as a form of marketing activity certainly there's a, you know we're doing measurement of those alongside more traditional a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Marketing channels. We, we mentioned influencers there and sort of how you know, brands will have to find their voice um, on speakers. Let's, let's have a think about another prediction that we've talked about really, which is about influencers. And we'll start with 
the point that we know influencers are growing, the use of influencers by brands is growing. Primarily, it started out as more of a PR activity, I would say, rather than maybe a coordinated marketing activity. Um, but there have been recent stories about influencers maybe being slightly less than reliable. Maybe they don't have real followers. Maybe they're not as trustworthy. They're not declaring themselves to be you know, advertising or sponsoring a, a product in a particular way. So there's something that in the prediction influence with confidence, which means that marketers need to have trust. Uh, they need to be able to measure influencers better and they need to be able to um, know that the message is going to be delivered in an appropriate yet authentic way. So it's a really tough, tough balance. And one of the things that we say in the prediction is that we think there will be micro influencers. So we may not use the sort of major stars anymore, but brands might start to seek out much smaller influencers who have a greater degree of trust amongst their followers and aren't necessarily going to be bigger than the brand themselves, because that's a very tricky balance. Andy, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on influencers and trust. It's yeah, I think really it's interesting yeah, I think it's area. right the way across advertising and digital advertising, and there's plenty of literature and, and stories around that. And I think it's very interesting the way you introduced that, Jane, when you talked about it started as a PR thing, uh, and it's now become mainstream perhaps within the marketing mix. And I do think that increasingly, earned media in the broadest sense, and this sometimes falls under earned media, is actually bringing the world of PR into the mainstream alongside paid owned and paid and owned media. And I think when that happens, the, the lens by which people look at it, the marketing community and the people evaluating look at it, they're looking for common metrics that work across. So suddenly, you know, people are gonna say, is this person real? Are these followers real? Uh, as you know, you're able to buy followers on various social media platforms. So one of the things that, that's happening now in certain markets, we, we have a partnership in China where we're actually with some of what we call key opinion leaders in China. We actually asked that key opinion leader to have in effect a blockchain validated social follower registration. So clients actually know how many, genuinely how many followers this key opinion leader has. And so I think, I think that's an interesting development from a, a metrics point of view and a measurement point of view. Uh, the, other, the other curious thing that goes slightly the other way, so you want to be sure that these followers are real, yet at the same time, uh, we've seen the development in China of, of virtual influencers. Um, for example, Microsoft have one called Xiaobing. So people want to engage with a brand owned, in terms of Microsoft here, virtual, influencer. So on the one hand, we're saying, let's clean up the ecosystem and make sure that we're measuring real followers. On the other hand, we're creating virtual influencers that, that, we can, that real people can interact with. So that's, that's a new job, isn't it, that we can all have in maybe three or four year, years' time. You could be a virtual influencer manager. Andrew, what do you well, reckon about sound, that? Sounds like a chatbot in, in, in different dressing. I mean, I think, I think we're heading perhaps in that direction, but it sort of seems to be the opposite to, to the reason why brands have gone into using influencers and particularly micro-influencers in the first place, which is about trying to be more authentic and having, you know, not the brand just telling you, yes, these are our products and they're wonderful, but, you know, this, this you know, look at these wonderful people who are on Instagram or wherever else who are, you know, influential and you like them and they're not just about our brand and spokesperson. And so, so I think that's, 
it's an interesting sort of difference where say you know earned media is 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 why they've wanted to do that but then there's experiments around essentially new owned media channels that look like earned media mm -hmm. entities so that's kind of curious i mean i think the other thing with influencers and, and certainly with micro influencers that to the point about measurement is is again building sort of basically better ways to establish the ROI of an influencer engagement and maybe not single campaign but engaging influencers over time because you're also starting to see brands going from and sort of you know, I've seen this in some of the brands that, that I'm particularly familiar with where they've gone from having maybe thousands of influencers of different sizes and types to then kind of culling that list and saying that's perhaps one far too many to manage too much risk from you know, sort of a regulatory standpoint or legal standpoint. And actually we don't need that many, but what we want to do is have a smaller set that's really high quality that we can really build relationships with and use over time. So that then you've got this sort of audience relationship with the influencer over time as well as with the brand over time. And so I think that longer term building relationships aspect is an interesting one for influencer marketing too. Just to wrap up on that, a while ago we did a study which was comparing an influencer, a real one, um, with a TV ad, but they were both talking about the same product, the same uh, hair care product. And with the influencer doing a kind of demonstration on YouTube, that sort of thing, obviously it was longer than a 30 second TV slot. And it was found, we did compare and contrast, we're using the same brand metrics. We did find that actually understanding, you know, engagement, um, all of those good things actually were better with the influencer because in that particular example, they were more credible than a kind of broadcast message that was just being um, sent out to, to consumers. So I think, yeah, it is all down to measurement and comparing and contrasting, really. But I think trust is, is the big issue there. And I think brands will seek new ways to find trust in influencers. It's, it's timely. I think it has to happen in 2019. Yeah, and I, I think seeing how they fit together as part of a media plan. Because yeah. what you're getting at is these things maybe aren't operating as separate things but if they are put together in a smart way with as with any cross-media effects it should work better and I think influencers aren't off to the side anymore. That's it so eliminating the, the silos yeah. So moving on to our next prediction which is really interesting as well called back to the big screen and it's about the television not that it's ever really gone away the device of television is still there it's still very prevalent in our living rooms it just does many different things now and there's many more connected TVs the penetration of smart TVs is now really high in many different markets and Andy I gather there's some interesting research that you're looking at in Norway yeah absolutely the I mean obviously we, we measure television in many markets around the world but Norway is probably uh, one of the most advanced in terms of a methodology in the sense that we're measuring in-home, out-of-home, we're measuring smartphones, we're measuring tablets, and of course we're measuring the main TV set. Just a, or two seconds on, on how we do that. It's a combination of, of proprietary technology that is attached uh, to the TV set, but in addition we tag content, both program and ads, that we can then read uh, that content and then aggregate the audience. We also then have a, a, a piece of technology that's attached to the router in the home that is tracking all the connected device, devices in the home. So we're able to get this really complete picture uh, of what people are viewing, which devices they're using. 
and and it's quite interesting. And you know, the things that that drop out from it are, you know, television isn't dying. It's just moving. It's just moving to different places, being consumed on different devices. What we do see is that people will continue to use the best screen available. So that's usually bracket the biggest screen available. There's interesting things there, for example, Netflix. We're now measuring Netflix and reporting Netflix for the first time in Europe, in, in Norway. Uh, almost two thirds of Netflix viewing is on the big screen. So yes, it's a disruptive way of watching long form content but it's being viewed through a traditional television set, or two thirds of it's being viewed through a traditional television set or smart TV uh, set. So, so some things are new and some things are the same. I think that's, that's really quite interesting. Well, I know that the UK just recently there was a piece in one of the newspapers about how the you know, younger audiences are you know, obviously fundamentally changing media consumption habits this applies to many different markets but it is a concern for many broadcasters and I do think that also in this prediction we talk about how younger audiences are actually slightly more predisposed to watching on tablets and that kind of thing but I do think that this sort of connected intelligence of media measurement is that something that other markets are looking to adopt is that part of the brief that's being it's, sent Yeah, to? it is. It's, it's, it's a growing part of what we do. I mean, in, in the UK market, we work with Barb. Barb have just published uh, what they call Dovetail, uh, which is linking uh, broadcast of VOD data back uh, to the regular people meter panel data. And you're, you're absolutely right, Jane. I mean, if you look at the incremental audience that of adding that to the traditional people meter based panel solutions, you're adding on average two to three percent of audience by adding that back. What you then see is when you start to break that down by younger age groups, it can be anything up to 15 to 25 percent incremental audience. So it's, it's very different by, by demographic uh, grouping. So, so Andrew, the, the television is changing from a a big screen on the wall that's being, you know, have, have a single signal pumped into it to basically being a big computer on your wall. Uh, is there anything that you've got to add to this? Your, your views on the changing role of well, TV in marketing? You said it, it's, it's, it's yet another screen for consuming video content. And I think that's really the, the point. Like, I, I understand that there's, in terms of, say, you know, ad-supported television as a, as a media channel that's quite different to the device of the television. And, and, and you know, we, we, we always combine the two things, and that's why we say TV's been declining, but the use of the device hasn't been declining, and it's a great device uh, for all sorts of reasons. So I think that that's sort of a good reminder uh, in terms of this sort of back to the big screen um, point that you're making. The other thing that I think is interesting around, and that I'm not sure if it's captured in the sort of the study or the data that you're getting from Norway, but you know, video gaming is also a massive thing as well. And of course that happens you know, on all sorts of devices, but gamers like their big screen TVs with their, their heavy duty gaming systems. So it's also a place for that. So if we remind ourselves that the living room you know, hasn't necessarily changed and the fact that we like to sit on a comfortable you know, sofa and curl up and watch something on the best available screen, i.e. the biggest, um, that's the reminder. I think what it also says, though, it's another massive headache and also a big opportunity for marketers, though, because, you know, 
five, ten years ago, the television was, you know, a, you know, a device in your living room that carried a, a format of advertising that everyone was familiar with. Now, it, there are many, many different ways to interact with it, and it does depend on the device manufacturer, the kind of targeted advertising, addressable TV. All of these things are on the. I, th I, th I think that's absolutely right, Jane, and I think again it goes to why there's so much interest in things like device graphs that that people want to know which which platform the content might be consumed on or more importantly their ad might be consumed on because you know you might be watching it on something that's the size of your hand or something that's the size of the wall and but the experience that a consumer will have or a viewer will have of that is, is quite different so how do we get the control into the the creative and the media plan to make sure that as best we can we know which solution or which consumption is is based on which creative now maybe there's something there for the back to where we came in in terms of artificial intelligence that i know you're watching on the handheld so i'll serve you uh, a different creative than i'm serving on the big screen right now yeah yeah and i think that's that that's a really good point because um we know that campaigns that are customized for each channel perform a lot better and a lot of what we still see I think in in what we're measuring if, if with effectiveness is that you know marketers are still putting TV ads online to be consumed on a mobile we know that's not the right answer it doesn't work as well so I think you know if the role of artificial intelligence could be to support the notion of adaptive creative advertising which maybe could be as simple as reformatting the logo so it's a bit bigger on a mobile screen or re-editing in an automated way so that actually it's a lot you're using more close-ups on a much smaller screen for example mm. or that the longer form music is adapted so that it plays when you've got a good sound system or something there could be a whole load of different ways that advertising itself could be more intelligent um, I think at the moment it feels like we're in the very early days of automated creative though that's probably for another another session so I think we're going to wrap up now. Thank you very much, Andrew and Andy. And I think as a final flourish, we're going to have a little song. On the 12th day of predictions, media gave to me 12 AI chatbots, 11 touch points measured, 10 trusted platforms, 9 ads for women, 8 voice assistants, 7 defined targets, 6 second adverts, 5 micro-influencers, four algorithms, three big screens, two Amazon ads, and an experiential marketing campaign. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.